Hello, and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm your host. Every Wednesday and Friday, I bring you interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. Today's guest is Julia Harrison, who is a woodworker and wood carver and really just... Um, <laughs> She also did a bunch of uh, metal work and stuff. So I think um, I would say she just really uh, enjoys creating. Uh, so great time chatting with her. She's currently in residence at uh, Penland. So we chatted about that and the experience of kind of going through the process of getting there and such. So great interview to bring with to bring to you today. Before we hop on into it with um, Julia, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the Revolution Pod Squad over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women in Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy Jeremy Spee, Sammy Go Sammy Lee. Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom, Bonnie Toolmomstore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Brandy Studio Obey, Lee the Rainbow Carver, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support while helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. Now, if you would like to get your name added to this list, become part of the Revolution Pod Squad, you certainly can. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution and uh, scope out which tier you want to join up with. No matter which one you pick, your name will get added as part of the thank yous at the start of every episode. All right. With no further ado, here is Julia. Oh. Julia, I like to ask to have my guests introduce themselves. So would you do that for me? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Julia Harrison, and I am currently a resident artist at the Penland School of Craft. So uh, right in the hot middle of the pandemic, I upended my life and moved from Seattle to North Carolina. Um, and I am primarily a, a woodworker, but one of the great things about uh, the Penland residency is that we get an apartment and a studio for three years with the kind of exhortation to just see how far we can push ourselves. And so I am continuing to do the, the wood stuff that I really love to do, which is um, mostly like, you know, just super ridiculously labor intensive hand carving. Um, but I'm also working on a public art project right now. So this, um, having the studio, like, you know, it's boring behind me when I look in front of me behind, behind <laughs> you. Um, one of the things that I have here is a 30 foot long wall. Um, that I'm using to stage this public art project. So um, it's kind of weird to say this at my age, but I feel like I really genuinely am, you know, what, what gets called like an emerging artist now. We don't call them yeah. new art yeah. anymore um, because I'm really doing this like hard pivot. So I, you know, I have an MFA. I've kind of been through some of that traditional stuff, but I am still as an artist, in the adolescence of figuring out who 
I am and what I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm in my, I'm like in my incubator right now and, <laughs> and trying to, trying to, to, to figure it out. Yeah, no, I, that totally resonates for me. I do not, like, I do not have an art degree or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a degree in furniture at all. I do have a, a bachelor's, but I went more of the science you know, an engineering route through school, but I very much feel the same. And like, as an emerging artist, like I feel very much like in this adolescent early stage of like discovering, like, what is my style? What is like all of that stuff? And so sometimes when I see like programs to apply as an emerging artist, it like breaks my heart sometimes when it's like, you have to be under 35. And I'm like, I, yeah. I was over 35 when I started this journey. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, what, why are we putting an age limit on when somebody discovers like, or tries to discover their path in art? I don't know why. <laughs> I completely agree. I mean, I think that that is, I, you know, I understand, like, I've been an administrator, and I get this idea that you got to put parameters around something, or it just gets unwieldy. Yeah, But I think that that particular parameter is pretty damaging and especially for women um, because, you know, women are, you know, the the number of women who I've seen not be able to um, dedicate the time and energy to a creative practice that they, that they're really, you know, called to Mm -hmm. uh, much later in life is, is huge. Like with a place where I used to work, one of the things that we introduced were some classes for seniors mm-hmm. and that was I mean it was it was hard sometimes it was hard to run those classes because we had to make you know certain accommodations and yeah. things just the stories of like people who are in their 60s and 70s who are like I always wanted to do this I was about to give up on ever having the chance mm-hmm. so yeah I just that that is something that I I do feel um is a very a very poignant <laughs> of decision for 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 you know grant makers or whoever yeah. pro- program supervisors to make um and I always wonder like are those people going to see it the same way like in another 10 or 20 years or, right <laughs> oh maybe we should expand that. yeah yeah start now program administrators yeah I actually I mean I, I never got a response but I actually like wrote a letter to the editor, if you will, to Dwell Magazine and Mm -hmm. said, because they had a like, you know, where you could apply to be featured as an emerging uh, designer, Um, but they had that age cap on it. I think theirs was even like 30 or something like that. And so I like wrote a letter to the editor who is a woman um, and said, hey, (laughs) you know, like perhaps you shouldn't put this age limit on because there's a lot of us who haven't even started their journey until like you said later in life and um, especially those of us like who have children that tends to like put a big hold on those things um like I'm super jealous of your residency because it's like one of those things of like like it's like uh, now that I know like because I didn't do the art path especially I never knew of this idea of residency 
yeah till after children and then it's like well I'm not gonna uproot their lives for two or three years you know when it it's not going to turn into something necessarily permanent uh in that location like it just it totally puts a different spin on it Um, yeah well, you know, I will say that this particular residency has a history of having, um, especially small children, the, the housing is not, you know, if you had like a teenager that needed their own space or whatever, <laughs> conducive to that. Um, but there is, there is a, oh gosh, how old is he? He's, I think he's five, uh, five-year-old here now. Um, and they have, they have worked really hard to um, kind of make it more welcoming and accommodating to, to families and people with partners and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they've done a good job of that. And they also have kind of framed this residently, residency, at least, you know, recently. It's, it's been around for a long time, so it's right. evolved. Um, but it is, is kind of pitched for people who are making a, a sharp transition mm-hmm. in their career path um and it's you know and that might be somebody who's just coming out of you know an mfa program or whatever or it might be somebody who is you know leaving corporate life and becoming Mm -hmm. a pop or so um i really appreciate that and i think it actually um it's much more respectful and understanding Mm -hmm. of the way people actually live their lives right (laughs) (laughs) and the thing like I, you know, I'll say I was kind of not not even joking at all about this idea of like being jealous of my own residency. Like I will, you know, want to say also that I, like I've wanted to do this for more than half my life. Like mm-hmm. I remember I came here, you know, first in like the late '90s, and this was the first place I ever had a jewelry class. And I walked down here. The the barns is the studio space where the residents work, and they usually have an open house every every class session. And so I came down here and I walked through it and I remember just immediately saying to myself, like, I want this. <laughs> and, you know, so my, my whole life since then has been this like slow meandering path towards trying to get, get back here and get in this space. But literally it's been more than half my life, more than 20 years that I, that I wanted this. And so it, it was not, you know, yeah it was not a thing where I just like rang a doorbell and was like can I come into this residency thank you (laughs) right um, but it's you know it's hard and it is it's competitive and all of that stuff but it is um it's just yeah it's different than a lot of than a lot of but there's tons of these residencies out there and they're so wonderful and like you know even with you having kids and a career and all Mm -hmm. that's like that experience of you know whether it's for a week or two weeks and not necessarily for three years right right someplace else and you know like hitting the reset button is um is amazing and you know not to tell you what you should do but (laughs) uh, but yeah I just think it's I think it's great and I think for for anybody who has that kind of itch in them at the very least look into these things and Mm -hmm. like write a couple of applications even if you don't send them that just that I'm a real firm believer in the, in the idea that the, the process of writing an application whether you get it or not whether you send it or not is a clarifying process oh, and yeah. and it lets you like like try on this different mm-hmm. thing in 
get to the end of your application and you're like, wow, I feel like I just wrote, you know, four pages of like full lives. Right. Or this sounds actually, you know, this sounds terrible. Um, but I think that can be a really valuable exercise. Yeah. Hey, makers. So today's podcast episode is sponsored in part by Alicia Van Osdahl, who is the owner of Basil Blue Design Company. Alicia is a maker of all things, really. Her focus is on beautiful craftsmanship through woodworking, repurposing, refinishing art and sculpture. Her background includes 30 years of graphic design, logos, and branding. If you have an idea or concept that and need a creative solution or graphic design, you can email Alicia directly at Alicia, and that is A-L-I-C-I-A at basilblue.com. Or you can visit her website at www.basilblue.com. And fun fact, uh, Alicia actually designed the logo for Crafting a Revolution. So that is an example of the impeccable work you can expect if that is something you are in the market for. So be sure to look up Alicia again at her website, basilblue.com. All right, let's get back into the action. I, I like I like that. I will definitely say one thing is to go to Penland is on my bucket list. Like I've never been there. Um, and so I definitely, right now it's kind of like, I really need the pandemic to be over before I really look at it. But um, it's definitely one of those things. Like I hope once my kid, I know once my kids are a little bit older, like I won't feel as guilty about if I went there and took like a month-long class you know um type thing so it's definitely I will get there one day <laughs> and get to do something or um, come with kids camp and stick them in that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I mean sorry I, I clearly do not have children since I'm like like making it sound like it's all easy and simple but I also like I have I have a mom who was like pretty clear about um where her where like where her non-negotiables were and like mm-hmm. so she, you know my, my my dad doesn't particularly like to travel anymore although he, he did used to travel more but like when they got married my mom basically said like I will be going on a trip by myself like at least once a year thank you and like <laughs> yeah and, you know he's done that and like yeah. what you know, and I don't think I don't think guilt is particularly in her emotional repertoire but I think that um you know as a kid like sometimes I would be like you know oh where's she going that's her thing but then as an adult like that's a pretty great model to have oh yeah this is what I need to be you know healthy and present for you the rest of the time right (laughs) and that's and, and then certainly like you know even though I don't have children like I think that that has been an important part of like having healthy relationships with the other just the other people and other family members. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I just like literally last week just moved out of a a shop space that I've had for three and a half years. The landlord sold the property and I moved it all to my home garage. And now I'm in the process of like reestablishing like the flow, right? Like getting things unpacked and okay, where's my drug press going to go here? (laughs) Just those things that seem like a simple question but are so overwhelming looking at the space 
but given that it like took time to get it all packed and then get it all moved and everything like I haven't physically made like haven't put my hands on something and like made with them in weeks and um (laughs) it makes me grouchy it definitely makes me grouchy it's like I have to like even if it's just for 10 minutes like just to do you know something and and I've learned about myself like I thought okay well what if I just throw in some like crafty stuff like at home type thing and it's just not the same it's because it's not my passion like and so it's like no I need to wood it has to be wood and it has to be something that I'm passionate about um I wanted to touch really like kind of circle back a little bit but I think what you were trying to say is like obviously life is not linear as hard as we try to make it (laughs) linear of like especially when you're young right when you're like a teenager you're like I'm gonna go to this school and I'm gonna go into this job and I'm gonna boom 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 I'm gonna get married I'm gonna have like there's like this list of things out in front of you right that it's like whatever your plan is um but it doesn't work that way and I think it takes until you hit about 40 before you really realize like nope life never went linear and it's always a series of pivots um so I really like that part about what you said about like Penland's focus on the residency is more like yeah you're making this pivot into whatever it is um I think that's important to recognize because I don't think anybody is I don't think anybody ends up at the end of their life in a spot that is exactly from where they expected to be. Um, but especially like in art, I feel like artists are constantly pivoting and um, growing as they learn new techniques, as they learn just new materials, all of that stuff plays a role. Yeah, certainly. And I, you know, I also think this idea of the linearity non-linearity is one of the ways in which a lot of us I mean totally myself included like beat ourselves up and waste a lot of time and waste a lot of emotional energy because when we look at other people's lives from the outside Mm -hmm. they they have stayed on that balance beam and like they've you know they've made all of progressions that they were supposed to make and you know we're wobbling around (laughs) right you know feeling feeling like you know total losers or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that um you know like this is okay I've really been thinking about this a lot lately and like struggling to put it into words I think that um one of the real uh, the real projects of being both an artist and, uh, and an adult is, um, okay, I'm going to use this word and like, and like little quotey things. Yes. Um, the, uh, I have spent a lot of my time being what I will call self-ish. So if you put the word self and then a little hyphen, <laughs> and, then, and that means that I you know like trying to be myself but also um trying to fit myself onto that line that I see other or I I I perceive that that other people are following Mm -hmm. and it has it has sucked and it has (laughs) it's really unpleasant yes so now 
you know, what I'm really working on while I'm being here um, is being like, oh God, it's so hard to have the right words for any of this and not just sound like so woo woo, but anyway, like being self-centered, like mm -hmm. actually being focused on like who I really am at my core and what I want to be doing. And I, I think that that actually does kind of going back to what I said earlier, leave me with a lot more positive stuff for other people. When I'm, when I'm not wasting all my time, like, you know, pretending to be one thing or another. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, let's let, like go back into the woodworking stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that is in, in, a, in a large part, something that I have learned and worked through, through wood carving. Because I think that wood carving this, you know, this idea that you have this thing in there and there's all this stuff that's in the way and all you have to do is, is get rid of it. You know, it's about, it's about seeking clarity and not to say that that's um, an easy thing to do mm -hmm. or, you know, that it doesn't require a ton of effort and blood, sweat and tears, but it is a simple thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's um, like, that's kind of what I wrote about the residency was like, that is what I'm really going for is like, committing to the, the, the lessons that I learned from my wood carving being the, the way that I shape the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Ha ha, I just wrapped a whole lot of mumbo jumbo <laughs> into one comment. But no, but it, it totally, yeah. <laughs> that, makes, that makes actually a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I call myself a, well, I call myself a power carver. So I'm always amazed with <clears throat> work like people like you do doing it by hand. For one, I'm like, I have no patience for that. Give me a power tool. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, <clears throat> get through this quickly. But um, it took me a very long time. And I think it's probably going to take me to the end of my life to discover my true voice in carving. Um, I'm much further down that path, you know, now than when I was, when I got started, when I got started, it was more of imitation of what others were carving. Like I knew I wanted to make like sculpted furniture. I knew that. So then it's like, okay, then I'm looking at other people's version of what sculpted furniture looks like and trying to imitate that. And now I'm sort of, I'm away from that right it's like no it's my it's my voice that I see in my pieces it's like what I envision for that piece but it's interesting to think about that in the life aspects um <laughs> because right now personally I have a lot of stuff going on in my life life and what I have been doing during this move is I've literally been chucking pieces of wood into the fire like I'm like I don't have I do not have the bandwidth to even like try to imagine this piece anymore like it's just like you know and so when you said that I'm like oh <laughs> that's what's going on like you know <clears throat> like pieces that I have been like lovingly setting aside you know chunks of wood I've been lovingly setting aside for years I'm like nope in the fire I just don't have the capacity for it right now yeah 
Yeah, I think that um, for those of us who do a lot of different kinds of techniques, like you're, you know, you're fabricating things and, and all that. Um, and I do the same thing. Like I have a degree in, in metal. I have two degrees in metals actually. And so, you know, I can, I can solder things and mm-hmm. things together in a bunch of ways. And I, and I do that. I use a lot of, a lot of different techniques, but I love making things. Like I like having an object, mm-hmm. but what the difference for me is very clear is that I, I make things that I want to have, right? I make stools or you know, mm-hmm. jewelry, whatever, but I carve the things that I want to think about. Mm. And so for me, carving time is, you know, it's, it is slow. And sometimes when I try to put a price on things, I'm like, what in God's name am I doing with my life? <laughs> but I, I so value that, you know, that quiet time to really sit down and think about things. And often, you know, often the things that I'm carving about mm-hmm. are things that are really not very fun to think about. Like I'm, you know, I'm doing a series right now that's all dead leaves. And it, you know, it's very much about, about life and it being ephemeral and trying to learn, you know, particularly with a lot of the people that I care so much about who have always been the strong people in my life are becoming more fragile. Mm-hmm. Trying to learn to have patience with that and not get frustrated with it and to, to you know, to a certain extent actually see the beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what carving those dead leaves is allowing me to cultivate. So, you know, in the end, the, 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 the thing is just kind of the husk of that experience. Right. And, um, yeah, so, you know, you do, you, you can, your power carving thing is, you know, like if that works for you, that's awesome. But if you need some, like, you know, a quiet minute to like, really, really, um, like kind of reset your, your observations mm-hmm. and stop being judgmental and like, you know, trust a process or whatever. Like, I think that there's very few things that are better for that than, than doing a little hand carving. And, you know, when I do that, when I do a little, like, just like you, I get a little like stir crazy if I don't do something every day. Mm-hmm. But even if I sit down and hand carve for like 10 minutes a day, like I'm a better person. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, Pod Squad. So this week's episode is brought to you in part by me, your host, Katie Freeman. I am super excited to start providing some virtual classes for some of the things that have taken me years to learn and perfect. And I want to share that knowledge with you, starting with Wood Stain Rockstar, going through how to add bright, bold, and beautiful colors to your woodworking projects. It's something that I really love doing. It just kind of adds a little spice, you know, adds a little something to that project. And so I really want to be able to share that knowledge with you guys. If this is something that you would like to do of this class you would like to take, you can find the link actually in the show notes for today's episode, trying to make that as easy as possible for you to to check out. And if you use the code rockstar at checkout, that gets you an extra 10% off. 
All right, let's head right back on in to the episode. Which is so weird, you know, when you're thinking about, like, I'm just, like, you know, I'm stabbing this thing, like, over mm-hmm. and over. But, yeah, maybe that's part of it, too. It lets out the aggression. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I That's where, I guess that's where I've moved from in, in my power carving journey of being focused on, okay, I'm going to make this thing to sell to... I'm making this thing because I want to make this thing like, and I have a vision for it and I really don't care if anybody else likes it, but it's like something that I want to make. And I've actually spent most of this year focusing on smaller pieces of work that like in the end, I've actually, I've raffled them all off and I don't really care how much the raffle ends up coming through for. Um, and, and because that way it's like, I'm not setting any value for it, except right. in the experience either. I always take away either a new technique, a new like uh, texture aesthetic, you know, that I hadn't tried before and like yeah. I'm really falling in love with. Or just like a statement of some kind. Like I'm working on a, a wall art piece right now and it's taking me forever, but um, it's the first time I've done a carved wall art piece. And like I haven't necessarily shared, you know, on social media, like the thought behind it, but it's basically, I mean, I'm t- intentionally taking a solid piece of wood and making it look as fragile as possible. Um, Like I'm carving a bunch of holes in it. Like it's meant to look like very ragged and fragile and brittle when it's done. And to me, that's my perception of like the world right now. Like everything is extremely fragile, but if we, you know, dig down, we can kind of find the bones and the things that connect us that make us stronger than what we feel like we are in the moment. Um, And so like stuff like that, I never would have done before if I was focused on like, this has to make me money. Now it's like, no, I still want it to make me money. Yes. But I also need to like, take the time to explore like art to me and explore um, techniques and all that kind of stuff. And if I don't do that, then I'm never going to grow and I'm never going to get to a place where people may eventually pay me for, for doing this stuff. Right. And, you know, which is not to say, I'm sure I'm, I'm, for either of us that we're like down on anybody who does make money with yeah. their work or focuses on that or um, doesn't have the, the leeway that right. we do to kind of pull back and do something that's ridiculous and Mm -hmm. and isn't gonna um pay us back but you know I think that there's also a way in which particularly like you're saying when you do these things that are raffled off or going out into the world and introducing you know kind of something new Mm -hmm. uh, that I you know I again it's that that selfish thing where, where you know if you are really putting what is best and most vulnerable of, of you out into the world mm-hmm. then I, I don't think that's ever that's ever a bad thing right right yep 
Um, I, you know, and I, I, I am grateful to have this, um, the privilege and the, the financial stability to be able to do that. Um, but I think that it's, it is also, you know, yeah, bringing your best to the table is, is what we should all be striving for. eventually. Right. Yeah. You know? And I love, you know, I love this idea. I, that's been a really exciting thing for this last year to see artists coming up with new ways to use their work to call attention to mm -hmm. that are important to them to raise money, raise awareness. Yep. Um, I think that's a really fascinating thing that has grown out of out of this terrible year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love to see more people talk you know, openly and strategically about how to do it in like the best possible ways. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like horrible stories about people ending up with these like huge tax bills, right? Because they, um, the way the donations that they set mm -hmm. up were like came, you know, came through them. And so they, yeah. even though it were just like a pass through for that money, then they ended up having to pay that, you know, 30% self-employment yeah. tax on all that stuff. Um, it was probably a conversation for another time, but like, but, but I do think no, yeah. that artists should start. That's like the next level. Yeah, right. Is, is getting getting smarter and sharing that information about how to do that stuff. Yes, that's why I've said several times on the podcast too. I think that for every for everybody who goes through art school and gets a specific art degree, I think that business classes should be a part of the curriculum. <laughs> for art students because it's like it's amazing you can go and create these bodies of art but if you do not know how to unfortunately to monetize it yeah. then that's not going to be what you get to do every day because you can't support like you have to be able to support yourself that's the end at the end of the day you have to and right. so <clears throat> I think it's a little bit of an injustice for art programs to not <laughs> offer like, you know, even like just like entrepreneurial type like classes because you are, you are your own business. Yeah. Um, so and I don't know how much, you know, better that's gotten. It's been like almost 20 years since I got my MFA and mm -hmm. we had, um, you know, little to none in <laughs> the of like business education. But, you know, the idea at that time was that we were really being molded to follow the same path that our professors had followed. Yes. And yep. that was also incredibly damaging. But yeah, this idea, you know, the idea when we were when we were in grad school was that like to to even think about doing anything other than being a tenure track professor was um heresy, right? right. People people would just be like, oh, like, you know, shocked um and even at that time you know do the math you have how many tenure track positions for like right the the 12 20 to 15 you yeah. know, people coming out of your program it just it like never it was it was setting people up for failure right but I you know I remember one of the one of the like meanest things that one of my professors said to me was a sculpture professor and he looked at some of my work and this was back in like you know 2003 or something he looked at some of my work and he said I have every confidence that you will be able to 
earn a good living selling your tchotchkes at local boutiques. <laughs> and at the, on the one hand, I was like, I was like, wait, he kind of meant that to be mean. But then I was like, ooh, I could sell my tchotchkes. Like, <laughs> because we hadn't, you know, we hadn't really talked about that right. in school at all. So no, I, you know, I absolutely think that that's true. And I, um, I think there's, there's, you know, there's so many components to being a professional that people are left to muddle through figuring mm -hmm. out. And I think it's a huge shame. And I, and I really appreciate like, so I, I do, um, I do a monthly newsletter now. And one of the things that I try to sprinkle in there is some of the professional development stuff that has either been really hard won for me or has been particularly valuable. And that's because I've had that modeled for me. So I, I have several friends who in their newsletters talk about things. Um, and my friend Joseph Cavalieri has a newsletter where he is always giving info that is like incredibly useful. He wrote one that was about the process of getting a museum to buy your work. Like who talks about that, yeah. right? All and it's just, needed. <laughs> yeah, we're all just left to like imagine that it is, you know, it's like they come down like the angel in Annunciation and just <laughs> right. and are like, okay, we'll have your work now, yeah. right? And it doesn't it, that's not the way it works. That's not the way any of this works, right? And so I think, you know, it's, it's on all of us, but particularly those of us who have had, you know, like I have this residency now, so I have this, I have this breathing space and I've had this little bit of success and some, mm -hmm. you know, society and it's on, it's on us to talk more openly about this stuff and like, really like, you know, show how our underwear is held up, right? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's awkward <laughs> to talk about some of these things. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like, so I, I love talking to people who are like, you know, earlier in their career about things. And that's another great thing about, you know, being at Pemlin is sometimes people will come over and say to me like, oh, I'm going to go get an MFA and become, you know, a tenure track professor. And, and I, you know, I'm like, okay, let's, let's dial that back. And like, <laughs> yeah. what is it, you know, again, it's that, it's that linear thing versus being self-centered. Like, are you following someone? else's path and how really gets that path or you know yeah. what is it that, that, that like you really want you know we, I just feel like this whole world would be so much better if people if individual people could figure out what they themselves truly want mm -hmm. not just go after the same things that everybody else has and is telling them that they should they should want yeah Hey makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code MAKERMOM, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. 
I was <clears throat> listening to a, um, a podcast the other day. Um, it's Glenn and Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. Um, yeah. I really love that podcast, but I don't remember the specific topic they were on, but <clears throat> that she was talking about how she knows like, you know, extremely like powerful women who are like, you know, advocates who are like changing, literally changing the world, who still have like the primary inner drive to just not disappoint their parents. Like that is like the whole, you know, <clears throat> their whole inner drive. And it gets down to like the, you know, the follow on to that conversation was like, well, what's the root of the word disappointing? It's appointing. So you're appointing somebody else to decide what is best for your life. Um, you know, and instead, how about we appoint ourselves to know what's best for our lives and yeah. work to not disappoint ourselves? Like, that's a lot easier to do. Yeah. Um, than trying to not disappoint whoever you've appointed as being the the person who set out that dream for your life yeah I think that's really true and it's you know it's hard it's hard work and it's scary but like is it really any harder or scarier than right <laughs> you know than trying to mind read someone else <laughs> yeah exactly who's, who's you know always changing their minds about things so yeah certainly so you, I mean, you said you have, you know, two degrees basically in metalwork. What yeah. got you, what pivoted you into wood? <laughs> um, I mean, it was a little bit me just kind of being a jerk. Um, I mean, it goes back farther than that. I took a sculpture class in, in college when I was an undergrad. So back in the late nineties and when we had to do the carving in that class, like I can tell you, I remember so clearly thinking, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like it was like, it was so slow. And I like, I still have a huge scar from where I jammed a chisel into my thumb. And like, nobody really taught us anything. They were just like, here's some extremely dull tools and some terrible wood to go. And I was like, this, this is awful. I'm never doing this again. And then several years later, I was doing this degree that so was on metalwork conservation. And I was living at a place where we um, had had this storm like many, many years before. And they did this really smart thing where for all the trees that got knocked down in this huge storm, they separated them out and some of them got burnt for, for um, heating the, the school. And some of them they actually saved and seasoned. And so there was all of this boxwood that they had saved and it was amazing stuff. And I was working on this conservation project that required me to reproduce something. I think it was a knob or something like that. And so they gave me a piece of this boxwood and, um, and I had some slightly better tools and all of a sudden it just clicked. I was like, this is like, this is actually doing what I want it to. So that's one of the reasons like when I teach people how to carve, like I do not believe in introducing people to this craft with terrible tools and terrible wood. Like right. why, <laughs> why would you? that like that's that's like I don't know like trying to get somebody to like a particular kind of cuisine by you know giving them the hospital food version of <laughs> right is dumb so 
so yeah, I just, I fell in love with it. And then I, you know, I moved, I used to move around a lot and carving and particularly small scale carving was like a perfect trip for that. So I moved to Japan and I was living in this tiny little apartment and I had my little piece of boxwood and I got some tiny, I got some scalpels and a tiny little saw. And that's just what I would do at night. I would like work on my little carvings. And, you know, by the time I left, I had all these little, little tiny carvings. And then um, when I went back to grad school to do my MFA in metals, I had, you know, as you can tell, like I'm kind of a contrarian and I don't really like authority. So I did not, you know, it was not like a happy, easy time for me. And my, you know, my professor is a metals expert, right? She's, and she, she's, she was very, she, you know, rightfully could be very critical of any work in metal because that was her, that was her jam. Mm -hmm. um, but when I would work in wood, she would have nothing to say. She would, she would say like, I, you know, this is not my, I don't know how to talk about this. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so like, that, that's, that's why I say I was kind of being a jerk, but like, that's why I did you know, in large part, that's why I did my entire MFA thesis show in wood, because it was like this protective bubble that I could build around myself. But, you know, it was this thing where, you know, I, I, I love, I love being able to use materials that other people don't see the value in. So using off cuts and mm -hmm. bits of on the ground, like that's exciting. I love that they are about a particular place. So, you know, picking up wood when you're in Alaska, you're gonna get yep. something different in North Carolina. And that's really exciting to me. And then, you know, as you as you work subtractively, the thing gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you have any sort of concerns about fitting into your carry-on baggage, like that's a really great right. <laughs> really great so um so you know from there it just, you know, from that that kind of like really screw you kind of beginnings um it it was something that just was a better and better and better match for the kind of life I was leading at the time mm -hmm. yeah I've never like I've I have definitely tried hand carving and I've tried I think where I struggle the most with hand carving, <laughs> this kind of circles back to what we're talking about, is the expectations I assume everybody else has, which is hand carving tends to be more realist, real life, realist. Yeah. Um, like when you're saying the, the dead leaves you're working on, I imagine they're going to look very much like actual dead leaves. Yeah. And I don't... I have struggled my whole life actually thinking that I have any art capabilities because I don't, I cannot sketch real life. I cannot draw real life. And so that's where I've struggled with even like the idea of hand carving because it's like I ha have a very hard time getting realistic like animals or any of that from it. It's more mm, free form, organic curves and shapes that I like to work with. Um, so I think that's usually what's always held me back from that idea because I think people have the expectation that hand carvers are gonna end up with something that looks like something else. Right. 
<laughs> I, I think that uh, there's a lot of that work out there and I certainly am contributing to that pool. Like a lot of my stuff is, you know, is almost like photorealistic. I have a piece yeah. downstairs right now that somebody almost threw away one day because they thought it was trash, you know, that's fine. Um, and for, you know, for me, that whole like chomp boy thing is, is interesting, but only so far, like, you know, what, what I'm really doing when I, when I carve something that is as realistic as possible is I am training my sense of observation and trying to dial down my judgment. And that's the, the reason that I'm doing that is like, I am trying to work into doing more um, larger scale portraiture and like, and like, like, you know, figurative work. Mm -hmm. And so when I take something, like I'm looking right now and there's a brown paper bag and a milk carton sitting over there and they, you know, they look pretty realistic, right? And the reason that I do those is because I take an object that I think I know, like you think like, oh, I know what a brown paper bag looks like. I know what a milk looks like, right. right? So it's something you take for granted. And when you start actually looking at it, you realize how that's just a load of crap. Like you don't, you don't know this thing at all. Like you were, you were seeing it again for the first time. And you, when you, when you start to look at things that way, you don't gloss over things. So I'm trying to you know, like really approach these objects in like a completely new, open-eyed, democratic way. You know, instead of saying like, oh, that detail is not important. I'm not putting these details in because I'm trying to fool anybody or, you know, show off or whatever. I am trying to train myself to not rule anything out so that when I start working like you know on faces yeah. like how often have you ever seen a portrait of somebody that's just like eyes and lips right because the rest of the stuff is either too hard or too boring right like I want to train myself to be just as interested in like this part of their cheek as I am in their and the pupil of their eye like that's mm -hmm. that's what I'm going for so I have definitely I feel like contributed to this like tyranny of realism <laughs> but I also think it's you know it's not, even though I do it, it's not because I think it's the best way or the only way. A lot of the art, like I think that, that, that what has really saved me in a lot of cases is a study of art history and the art from other cultures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly living in the Pacific Northwest, like there, there's not a day that goes by that I do not miss like seeing all the native art that was around me there. You know, there were, there were things that I saw on my walk to work every day. And if you, if you beat yourself up about any perceived deficiency in your work, one of the best antidotes to that is to find work that you believe to be beautiful and successful that makes an asset out of that. So when I first moved to Seattle, one of the things that I was trying to do with my work was to, to, to make my work as symmetrical as possible. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it. Like, and I, I don't really like measuring. So I was still just eyeballing or whatever. But when I started looking at like masks from Kwakuto culture, Haida, and these things that when you look at them, they look symmetrical and they're powerful. They're really amazing. 
But then if you actually like shift your angle and like think about it in kind of like a graph paper way, they're not symmetrical at all. <laughs> you know, and, and it just that that simple thing like really freed me up to to just be like, whatever. Like as long as it as long as it has the impact that I'm going for, the mathematics are matter. Um, and then there's there's a lot of there's a lot of work that I consider to be much more successful than my work that is not realistic at all. So, you know, on the one hand, like I do, I love super realistic things like Grinling Gibbons and Grinling, you know, his, his, that Jabot thing, like, mm-hmm. but then there's other people, like there's a, there was a Japanese carver from, oh God, like the what, 16th century named Inku, who was one of my absolute favorite carvers of all time. And some of his pieces, like, if you just glance at them, you might think that they were just like a stick that a dog chewed on and you have to start looking closer, but he, you know, he would do these things. Um, he was a monk and he lived at a time in Japan where people were like now going through a lot of shit and he mm-hmm. like go around and he, as part of his, his like kind of practice of ministering to people, he would make carvings, you know, particularly of religious, religious figures and he would just leave them behind. And so they, there's, an, I can't remember what the estimate is on them, but like this, you know, there's thousands of pieces that this man made and just sloughed off in his lifetime, you know, just, and, and, and they were meant to give people comfort. They were, you know, meant to be objects that could like help people like kind of focus their attention. Um, and they, they're really rough and they're really crude, but they have so much life and like so much compassion in them. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just doesn't matter. So yeah, so I would say if you, you know, if you, if you feel like that is, is a yardstick that you are holding yourself up against, go and look at some different yardsticks, because they're out there, mm-hmm. and they're way cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing that. And especially the, the Japanese artist that reminds me of, I had and I'll probably still do it. Again, this is a bucket list thing, but I've often thought, <clears throat> um, like, I like to go hiking on trails and stuff in, you know, in our area. And I've often thought, like, I have a cordless angle grinder. What's to stop me from, like, you know, there's always all these down trees and stuff to, like, carve a seed out in one of these trees for somebody to like just stop and take a rest or you know carve a thing along the way that's not like expected to be part of that um so eventually someday I will do that because I think that there's value in it yeah (laughs) no I think that's that is a lovely thing like to not you know not know who your audience is going to be but know that it's going to be a person who pays attention mm-hmm. and that you are rewarding them. You're giving them this little treat. Right. <laughs> for paying attention. That's mm-hmm. yeah, a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. So we're actually, this time has flown by, Julia, but we're actually sure. at the end of our time together. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me to yeah. do this. Yeah. Tell, like we're, you know, we're still kind of locked down. We, we do have students back now, but, you know, we're, we're in this phase again where we can kind of go for days without speaking to anyone. Yep. So, yeah. 
thank you for giving my cabin fever a little bit of an outlet. I really absolutely, it. absolutely. Um, and I do want to give you a chance too to let people know how they can uh, find you and, and find oh. your work. Yeah, um, the best way is probably my, my website, which is uh, juliaharrison.net. And through that, there is a sign up for my newsletter. I send out a newsletter once a month. And as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a combination of like, what's going on with me, some deadlines that I think are maybe of interest to people, and then also a little bit of um, professional development stuff. So if you are somebody who is um, early career or just kind of trying to look for a new perspective on your practices that might be useful to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also on Instagram and there it's um, by Julia Harrison, B-Y Julia Harrison. And yeah, I'd love to, love to see you. Excellent. And I'll include the links to both of those in the show notes so people can easily find you. And thanks again for chatting today. Awesome. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and I look forward to being in contact again sometime soon. Yeah. All right. So again, that was Julia and I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode. Easiest way to find that is just to check out the description for today's episode on your podcast app. Or if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, check out the description down below and you'll find the links on how you can follow her, as well as the links to that first virtual class of mine, Woodstain Rockstar. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you subscribed um, and make sure that you're sharing this with your friends. All right. We're um, aiming for, I've got the Revolution Pod Squad, we're working on hitting 10,000 downloads a month. Once we do that for our first month, I will set up a live podcast um, recording, meaning live audience, um, and also get Ashley Minnie there to perform the theme song live for the podcast too. So super excited about that. Help me get to that 10,000 downloads a month by sharing with, you know, two or three of your maker friends or even your non-maker friends who just enjoy hearing a good story. When I am not interviewing and making podcast episodes, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media platforms. I'm active on a daily basis, though, over at Instagram, at Freeman Furnishings. So come on over, say hi, say you listen to the podcast. I always love hearing that. All right, so it is middle of the week. I hope you're all having a great week so far. And as always, let's go craft a revolution. She, her, fan, they got something they want to say. Solution for the toxic masculinities. Pollution is the constant evolution of a broken institution. So here's our resolution for craft a revolution. Shit.